So again, welcome and good afternoon. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to introduce to you speakers who are in Oxford working with us, this time a visitor, an academic visitor, but always beautiful to have this Israel studies uh, discussion going on uh, internally, as it were. Uh, Dr. Tamar Kalahora, our uh, academic visitor for the year at, uh, at OSGA. Um, Tamar holds a, a PhD in uh, law from the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. She's also a certified lawyer, and most importantly, she's worked for 18 years. She has been working now 18 years uh, in the state's attorney general office uh, at the Legal Counseling and Legislation Department. A former research focused on tort law in general and specifically on tort law as an enforcement mechanism by the state in cases of harm to public interests. Her current research focuses on legislative producers in Israel in a comparative perspective and the title of her talk, obviously derived from this, is a, uh, a competition between members of the parliament and governmental ministries uh, on policy goals through legislation, Israel is a case study. Tamar, thank you for coming. Thank you much uh, for inviting me. Um, I got the idea for this uh, um, research project while working at the Ministry of Justice. Um, I was uh, working with uh, government ministries and with the Knesset, with the parliament on legislation and uh, no one who has ever worked uh, with the Knesset couldn't uh, help but notice the very fierce competition between uh, MPs and government ministers, the GMs, uh, about uh, policy outcomes. Uh, the government has its own policy, the MPs have their own policy goals, and they all want to make uh, an impact and uh, through legislation. And um, I began asking myself uh, what influences uh, uh, that competition and what are its outcomes and thus uh, I, I reached the conclusion that I have to do a real real research and not just uh, uh, so uh, not just uh, along the way of working uh, at the Ministry of Justice and that's how this project came into being um, this is the very general outline of the project the very general questions I ask um, well, the basic assumption is that there is competition between uh, MPs and uh, GMs. They all want to achieve uh, policy goals and they sometimes want to do it through uh, legislation. And the question is, first of all, what is competition through legislation? What, are its, uh, what is uh, the meaning of this term and what are its characteristics? And then uh, what uh, factors influence the competition? And what are the advantages and disadvantages of competition through legislation? Now, what I'm going to talk about is work in progress. I haven't published it uh, yet anywhere. I hope to publish it. Um, so any question or comment would be most welcome. Um, I will show you some uh, data that I have uh, extracted from the National Legislation Database of the Knesset. That's a search engine built by the uh, Department of the Knesset that contains the entire legislation of the state in Isra of Israel, all the bills, all the statutes. And if you are a, he a Hebrew speaker, then you can search it very easily uh, online. If not, then it's a bit more problematic. Um, and I also want to say that I was hoping um, 
I am still hoping to have uh, a comparative pers perspective, but uh, getting uh, um, um, finding data, specific data on legislation in other countries is not uh, an easy task. I do have some general data. The only country which I have been able to find very specific data of uh, decades of legislation is the UK. So I'm going to show you towards the end some data as a comparison to uh, Israel. Um, um, but despite that, um, what makes Israel a good test case, in my opinion, is despite not having full uh, uh, comparative data, I, can, I think I can say, even at this early stage, that Israel is really, I, I couldn't find parallel to what goes on in the Knesset in terms of legislation. Um, since 1949, we've had almost 43,800 bills and 7,000 uh, statutes, which is a lot. And I brought you as a preview, or as a teaser if you'd like, data from the 20th Knesset, the last Knesset that uh, dissolved in uh, January. And you can see for yourself uh, the number of bills and uh, the numbers of um, private members' bills. Um, and this is unprecedented. I, I haven't seen anything like it in, in, in the several countries that I've been able to um, uh, re uh, retrieve some data on them. Now, the Israeli legislative process is very simple because there's a unicameral parliament. You don't have to go back and forth between House of Representatives or the Senate. And uh, I think what makes Israel interesting is that you can find almost any political phenomenon, <laughs> any kind of selection, uh, candidate selection method, um, any kind of political trick that uh, refers to the political instability. So we've had almost everything you can think of. And also uh, my, uh, I would call it my contribution to the um, perhaps the discussion about uh, legislation and, and what affects uh, the competition between MPs and, and government ministers is, is what happens in Israel in terms of the struggle between branches of government. I think it has, uh, it's very important to understand what happens in the Knesset and I haven't seen much research on that particular question. Um, Competition through legislation is uh, when both uh, MPs and GMs wish to give le legal effect to a desired policy goal um, by, a primary, by primary legislation. Now, the gov government ministers can do a lot of things to achieve uh, policy goals other than through legislation, but uh, members of parliament, usually they, they, they can't. They may supervise the government, they may... Uh, start a public debate on something, but if they really want to change uh, um, or to, to be effective, then they have to legislate. At least that's what they think uh, uh, in Israel. And um, it can happen in several ways. Sometimes they conflict, okay? Sometimes they, there's a bill that says uh, cut, uh, um, cut uh, the, the allowance for the disabled, 
And the government says, uh, the government says cut the, the allowance. Of course, the government is always in favor of cuts. And the, the, the MPs would say, no, I propose a bill that says raise the allowance. Um, so that's, that's conflicting policy goals. Uh, but sometimes they compete for credit, not for policy goals, because both the uh, MPs uh, and the government ministers propose the same policy goal. But the competition is then who is the first to uh, uh, propose the bill, and then who gets the credit. Now, um, sometimes you only have a private member's bill, because the government does not want to legislate, does not want... Uh, it says, I don't want to regulate this area, I don't want to interfere, but the uh, MPs say, no, we want to regulate, so you only have, you have a co conflicting policy goals, but only one bill, but that's still competition through legislation. Um, it is also important to note that one should make a, a difference between competition in initiation of the bills, in proposing the bills, who gets the credit for proposing a bill on something. But then it's a completely different matter. Um, the competition for actually legislating the bills, for going through the legislative procedure and turning, making the bill become an act of parliament. These are different incentives. These are different motivations. And as it's worth uh, mentioning that government ministers have two sets of incentives. One is their incentives as part of the government, so they want to promote the government's um, uh, policy, but then they have their own uh, uh, private incentives and their own motives for legislation, because they're also political, political personas uh, independent of their party and independent of their government. So sometimes those in incentives can conflict so it's important to, to understand that you have competition between different players, the, the incentives, what affects coalition backbenchers and opposition MPs. They may not be the same incentives and the same, um, have the same effects. And also it is worth mentioning at this early stage that it is usually unfair competition because in most parliamentary systems, government bills have some kind of formal advantage over private members' bills. Uh, we'll talk about it uh, later. Um, what I've found from the literature that I've uh, read so far is that there are several factors um, that influence competition through legislation. Um, the first thing is what uh, is known as agenda-setting powers of the government and other veto players um, in the legislative process. In many, many, in many countries, in Europe and in other <coughs> parliamentary systems, the government has um, official uh, agenda-setting powers that give the government bills formal advantages versus uh, private members' bills. Uh, positive uh, powers, that means that they have the power to promote uh, government bills over uh, private member bills. Negative powers, that sometimes they have the power to block uh, PMVs. Uh, sometimes it's the reverse. Sometimes the parliament has parliament has the power to block government uh, bills. Um, partisan advantages. That means how the government uses its majority or the coalition to control the legislative process. 
that's more important in case the government does not have many formal agenda setting powers. If it has strong agenda setting powers, it doesn't need to use you know, its political power, but if it does not have uh, strong uh, agenda setting powers, then it, it needs to use the political uh, uh, mechanism, uh, coalition agreements, coalition discipline, control of, the pa of parliament through majority or coalition. Um, what is also important to note, and something that I will intend to um, ex uh, research uh, later on, is uh, how does the approach of the next election affect the incentives to legislate or not to legislate, uh, both for uh, government ministers and MPs from coalition and opposition, because at the beginning, after the elections, everybody's very happy, everybody's very enthusiastic, uh, everybody's eager to cooperate, but what happens when elections are looming and maybe people s suddenly don't want to cooperate, maybe they suddenly want to, to finish what they've started, or maybe the government doesn't want um, MPs to finish what they've started. So this is something that is worth uh, paying attention to. And um, of course, uh, the different value of bills, strategic behavior, not all bills are worth the same for the MP or for the government minister. So there's this trade between them. You, you support me on this uh, bill, I'll support you on this bill, I'll promote this bill and I'll let go of this bill in return for something else maybe. So these are all things that are worth uh, looking into. Um, I, uh, I believe in the advantages of a competition in many areas, in many fields, um, in, in many markets, and, and legislation is also a, a sort of a market. So it's worth uh, thinking about uh, what are the advantages, what are the benefits of competition through legislation. And I've put uh, um, on some examples of what I think are the most noteworthy uh, advantages of competition through legislation. Um, obviously, governments in, in, in parliamentary um, system, they have or desire to have monopoly over public policy. I mean, this is what they're elected for, um, to, to establish a public policy and then to execute their public policy. Um, but then uh, competition um, helps to break that monopoly, and breaking monopoly has, uh, has benefits. Um, I also thought that uh, sometimes you can define the situation as a cartel, not just a monopoly, because sometimes uh, the government and other influential uh, private interest groups, they all stand together and support this public policy with no competition from the pr from private sector and not just the government so there's you can you can even talk about a cartel of public policy and private members bills that compete uh, with the government on on that public uh, uh, goal that uh, suggest a different policy goal they might help break that monopoly and that has um, many benefits, as you can see. Um, sometimes the government thinks that something, some policy issue is not important, but maybe it is. Uh, to other people, sometimes the government is captured 
by the, the, the government agency or the government ministry is captured by the same uh, entities that it is supposed to supervise. And uh, they, uh, the government uh, minister only wants to implement policy that protects those entities. And sometimes the public, uh, the, the private members bill can help uh, the public understand that uh, maybe it's time to look at the issue in a different way and maybe it's time to treat the, those uh, supervised entities uh, differently. Um, um, and in terms of information costs, uh, well, sometimes private members bill uh, bring new information to the debate or they add uh, new information. And also sometimes it's, uh, it lowers the bureaucratic costs Anyone who's ever tried to pass a government bill through parliament knows how difficult it is to get the government get going, even before it reaches parliament, how, how hard it is to get all the ministries and all the bureaucrats, you know, agree to the bill and then uh, agree to the amendments made to the bill during the debate in parliament. And at least in theory, uh, private members' bills are supposed to be cheaper in terms of bureaucratic costs. And there are also other benefits uh, which are perhaps not economic, uh, such as promoting uh, cooperation between uh, um, members of parliament and their parties. And um, also it uh, gives the public a, a chance to get to know other political leaders than you know, just the heads of the party. But also uh, competition through legislation has disadvantages. Uh, we'll talk about it uh, uh, later when, when, when I'll show you the data from Israel and how in competition for legislation in Israel, what are its disadvantages, but it can overload the system if it's uh, very, if there are too many bills, it can really overload the system. Um, Wasting resources on minor issues, that's always a question because, like I said, if something might be minor to the government but not really minor in the eyes of the opposition or, or, or the, the public. But the argument goes that, I mean, most major reforms, economic reforms or major regulations are usually government bills. And private members' bills are usually on technical or minute or minor issues, then why waste really, you know, scarce parliamentary, really uh, needed parliamentary time uh, on, on minor issues? Um, I think the most interesting uh, argument against competition through legislation is not just that it bypasses uh, the public policy, but it uh, drives the government to regulate issues through other means. I'll try to show you what happens in Israel, what uh, our department um, personally has, has been doing the last uh, few years in trying to avoid going to the Knesset, because if you think that you won't be able to get your bill through the Knesset, then you resort to other means. I'll show you what, what happens. And also, of course, private member members' bills might also be a result of capture. I mean, it's not that just the government that is being captured by, you know, evil uh, private interest groups and uh, lobbyists. Uh, um, MPs can be captured just as easily, maybe even more easily. So, um, 
let's talk about Israel. Um, Israel is a parliamentary democracy, which means the government enjoys uh, needs the confidence of the Knesset, of the parliament. Um, it has a small unicameral parliament, 120 MKs, I'll call them MKs, not MPs, if you don't mind. Um, actually, it's between 80 and 90 MKs that do all the parliamentary work, because as I will show you later, um, the government, the GMs and the DGMs, that is the deputy uh, government ministers, uh, are sometimes between 30 and 40 uh, government officials. So it's only 80 to 90 MKs that do the parliamentary work. Um, it's a very small parliament. Israel in, in now has 9 million uh, citizens, so it's a very small parliament. And uh, since, uh, 12, uh, since uh, 2040, you need the uh, 3.25 threshold to get into the Knesset. That was supposed to help the Knesset become more uh, politically stable. I'm not sure it has done what it was meant to do. All governments since the establishment of Israel have been coalition governments. Um, what is important is the last three uh, characteristics of Israel. Um, the control of the Ministry of Finance and on, of other ministries and of legislation is something I will talk about further, but what really one has to know before we talk about the Israeli legislation is that since 1985, um, the, the, the Ministry of Finance actually took control of Israel's economic uh, policy and that has impact of the legislation uh, of all ministries, not just uh, the Ministry of Finance, because almost everything, Israel is not a socialist economy anymore, but it's still very centralized. And it's still, the government still has a lot of influence over what happens in the country. You know that 93% of the land belongs to the uh, state, for example. So any reform on land or building or, or any reform that involves planning something um, has to go through the state and thus has to go through the Ministry of Finance because almost an, any reform has effect on the budget or on the state's economy. So um, this is very important when you talk about legislation. The Attorney General in Israel, um, that is great con controversy over his position um, in general, not just uh, the question of his involvement in the legislative pr procedure, but by process. But um, what is important to understand that the Attorney General holds wears several hats. One, one of those hats is the head of prosecution. I'm not going to talk about that. The other hat is the uh, legal advisor of the government. And as a legal advisor to the government, the Attorney General also advises the government on its position regarding private member members' bills, okay, and uh, uh, government bills. Now, when I say advises the government, that is exactly the controversy, whether it, these are just opinions or advices that the government can, you know, say, okay, we've heard you, we don't accept uh, your opinion, or is it binding? Um, we used to think that our opinions were binding. La the last few governments thought differently. Um, but 
I, I will attempt to show you what, what does it mean in terms of the legisl legislative process. Okay. So I, I, I put here, what, what I've written here is the formal general principles of the legislative uh, process in, 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 in Israel. Uh, most of it is found in the Knesset rules of procedure. You won't find it in primary legislation in an act of parliament, and you won't find it in the basic laws uh, that deal with government or Knesset. It's all in that uh, rules of procedure, which are internal rules of the, 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 the Knesset. It's not that exceptional. Uh, and that exceptional. I mean, in many countries, you can find the rules uh, on that legal level, not in, in, in an act of parliament. But what, what, what really happens is, is, is as follows. Um, an MK decides that they, he or she, they want to legislate something. They've had a complaint. They've read about something in the paper. They've met with uh, some uh, NGO or some uh, private interest group that want to pursue some policy goal through legislation. And they were convinced that it's a good idea, that it would put, promote them, and that's a good uh, policy goal. Um, so they write up or just take the bill that was written for them by someone else. They write up a bill, they file it with the administration of the Knesset, and there it sits. Now, most of them don't see daylight. Yeah, just sit. But uh, sometime, the, the, the parties, they decide which bills they want to promote. Okay, so uh, they go to the presidium, the chairman of the Knesset and uh, uh, his deputies, and they give them the list of, of PMBs they want to promote, and uh, the, pr the presidium, they sit at weekly, and they decide every week which bills to put on the agenda, also government bills and also PMBs. And um, what happens is that the government gets a week's notice of what PMBs are to be on the agenda for next week, on the plenum's agenda. And um, the government's cabinet for legislation, that's a group of ministers, um, a committee of ministers that it's their job to decide what the government's position will be on, the, on those uh, private members' bills and also what should the government adopt uh, um, government bills. For example, if the uh, minister for uh, um, the protection of the environment wants to promote Clean Air Act, then the, the, this committee will decide whether the government wants to adopt that bill as well. So every week, around 40 private members' bills go to the plenum. The government convenes on Sunday to decide what its position is going to be. When I started working for the, minist the Ministry of Justice, it was very simple. Either the government voted to support the bill or to deny or to object to the bill. In the last few years, um, what happened was that the government rarely objected, you know, uh, uh, to, to bills. Either they just took off bills from the agenda, or they said, well, let's postpone the discussion. Let's postpone it uh, for three months, sometime in the future, or support it under certain conditions. Um, but one can say that in total, the government does not support most bills as they were written, 
and uh, without government support, a PMB cannot go go ahead because it needs support in the preliminary thing. It has to pass four uh, four, re four readings, not three, and it needs government support. And it's very rare for a PMB, especially from the opposition, to proceed and become an act of parliament without government support. Now, um, the Attorney General uh, gives a, a, a legal opinion, a legal review of every private member's bill, and the government usually decides to go ahead with it, but not always, and, and there have been many cases when the Attorney General <coughs> objected to a bill and the government decided to support it. Um, and then it goes to, to the Knesset. If the uh, government decides to support the PMB, it passes the preliminary uh, reading without a debate before it reaches the plenum, and then it goes thr through the next three readings. Uh, there is a debate before the first reading in, in the committee, and then in the plenum. If the committee decides to vote on the bill and decides to support it, it goes to the plenum, and then it goes back to the committee for debate towards the second and the third reading. And by the end, if the committee decides to vote uh, in favor of the bill after all the amendments for the second and the third reading, and if the plenum uh, votes in favor, then it becomes an act of parliament. A government bill uh, only has to pass three readings. It usually begins at some ministry. Um, it is usually the, the idea, it, it's from bottom up, so it, it, it's usually the ideas of the professionals of the ministry. It is sometimes it's the ideas, the policy that the minister brings with him to the, to the minister, ministry, but usually it's the professional ideas of the professional people in the ministry, and they suggest the legislation to the minister, he approves of it, and then they write up a draft bill, the draft bill goes through all the ministries and it passes the, the Attorney General and uh, a lot of changes, a lot of amendments before it becomes a, a, a proposition, a, a, the final proposition, proposal uh, uh, of the government. If the government adopts the bill, it becomes a government bill and it passes the first reading without prior debate, it's automatic. And then the, the, the debate on the government bill begins after the first reading towards the second or third reading. And um, then it's just like any other bill, it passes the same process and it becomes law. Um, it's of course worth, uh, obviously uh, bills cannot pass without cooperation of coalition uh, parties and sometimes without the cooperation of opposition parties. So there's, of course, a lot of politics, a lot of negotiations, a lot of uh, give and take, and, and that is what happens uh, behind the, formal, the, form the formalities of the KRP. Now, uh, uh, the, the government um, does not have, the Israeli government does not have strong uh, agenda-setting powers um, in the legislative process. Um, other than the requirement for three readings for government bills and four for uh, PMPs, it doesn't really enjoy much, uh, many other advantages. What is worth mentioning is uh, what uh, you see before you, budgetary P 
PMBs. These are bills, private members' bills, that uh, cost the state's budget six million shekels and more. That's around one, one and a half million uh, um, uh, pounds, if you'd like, and that the government uh, did not uh, approve of the costs, did not uh, give its consent for the costs. So a budgetary bill uh, needs uh, the vote of the assent of, uh, of uh, the consent of at least 50 MPs on every reading uh, in order to become uh, an act of parliament. And um, <coughs> the presidium's approval of a content, that's also something that is only uh, private members' bills are subjected to. And that uh, the, the presidium will not allow for our bill to go to the preliminary reading if it's racist or if it's undemocratic or if it, uh, it's against Israel being a Jewish state. Um, and the Attorney General's position, this, this is also a, a major uh, issue in the last uh, few years, because as I've said, in many cases, the Attorney General objects to private members' bills. And um, they don't like it, and the coalition MPs don't like it, and the government ministers don't like it. So uh, in the last few years, we only object if there is um, legal prevention, which usually means um, that it, the bill is unconstitutional. I'll talk about that in a minute. Or if there are serious legal difficulties, which means that uh, the bill is incompatible <coughs> with the general legal theory or legal situation of, of that uh, particular area. For example, uh, we do have uh, punitive damages in Israel, but if uh, uh, an MK uh, proposes that in case of uh, someone uh, libeling or slandering someone else, they should pay uh, two million shekels as punitive damages, then that would not only be considered, if not unconstitutional, that would be considered as a very, uh, a bill that has uh, serious legal difficulties because that is not compatible with uh, the general theory on uh, punitive damages in uh, Israeli tort law. Um, okay. What the Israeli government does have is its uh, partisan advantages. M the control of the Israeli government of the legislative process is done by the partisan advantages, by the control of the political institutions of the Knesset. Um, um, vote of no confidence does not exist, practically does not exist anymore in the last uh, 15 years or so, because in order to succeed in a vote of no confidence, the opposition needs to present an alternative government. So it's not an effective tool on, 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 on either side. What is more effective and what is being used uh, more and more in the, in the last uh, 15 years or so towards the end of the Knesset is the power of the government uh, to dissolve the Knesset. And that is what uh, Netanyahu has done in January, that uh, has been done previously in, in 2015 and also in 2013. Uh, uh, when they feel that the government is losing its ability to control the Knesset, they 
vote on dissolving the Knesset, and that uh, stops in 2015. It was done to stop a bill from proceeding, the bill on uh, Israel, the newspaper Israel Hayom, for example. Um, also, uh, what is important to, to note is that the government controls the Knesset by appointing the chairman of the Knesset. I say chairman and not chairperson because unfortunately most of them are men. <laughs> the ministers, the, the MPs, and, and the, the everybody, most of them are men. Um, only the, the chairman of the state auditory com uh, committee is supposed to be someone from the opposition. All others can be from coalition, not, not all the time, but they have special powers in the KRP, in the Knesset Rules of Procedure. They have specific uh, agenda setting powers. They have a lot of influence on, over the legislative process. So if the government controls the committee, it controls the legislation in that committee. A very important uh, committee is the managerial committee, the Knesset committee. Um, and it's also, that's coalition committee. So the, the, the government has these advantages through its control of the, of the Knesset. And of course, when the government loses its control of the coalition or when the coalition discipline lessens, then the, the government's control of the legislative process also uh, lessens with it. Okay, let's see some numbers, some data. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so um, I just th this this is just a, a table of the Knessets in terms of dates, uh, so that we would all see uh, the dates of the Knessets, um, the first Knesset and and on. I've included the Knesset twi the twenty first Knesset, although um, it really didn't do anything other than dissolve itself. Um, what you can see is that. Uh, the life of the Knesset, it, it's, I used to think that the Knesset, that we had elections every two, two years or so, but, but it's not. It, we had, you can see that elections were held in, until the, what is it, until the 80s, they were held every four years in average, and then it began to, to shorten. But that is hardly the picture, the whole picture of Israel's uh, political instability. If we have time, I'll show you um, more data regarding uh, the, what it actually looks like, the political instability. But I just wanted you to see what is important is to see the, the dates. We have had 20 Knessets in uh, 70, 72 years. And um, let's get to the data on the bills. So this is the number of... Uh, the total number of bills submitted to the Knesset, uh, the Knesset's presidium per Knesset. So how many were just filed or submitted uh, to the presidium? Uh, and you can see, I mean, the numbers are self-evident. These are um, bills from all kinds of origin. There's the private members' bills, the government uh, bills, and CBS, that's committee, committee bills. Uh, there is a possibility of a committee as a group, the Knesset's econ Economy Committee or uh, Health and uh, Social Welfare Committee to propose a bill of its own, but the numbers are very, very small, like 20 bills per Knesset or something like that, so I didn't, I'm not going to waste time talking about them, but you can see that the last Knesset, the 20th Knesset, uh, you can see the number for, for yourself, and you can also see the change uh, in the numbers. 
um, the su success rate. Um, how many bills uh, became acts of uh, Knesset? So these are, this is the success rate for government bills. And uh, also, you can see the, the gray line is the success rate, the percent. And um, you can see that the success rate is dropping considerably. Um, from uh, around 90% in 1949 to 57% in the last Knesset, um, which is telling something. I will we'll discuss that later on. This is the success rate for uh, private members' bills. Um, don't be overexcited about the 85 uh, success rate of PMBs and uh, um, what is it, the second or third Knesset, because uh, if I'm not mistaken, the total number of bills was, uh, PMBs was uh, 13. So if they had 85% success rate, that means uh, very, very small numbers of, uh, of bills, yeah, that turned into law, yeah, 11, 11 bills. So, and also you can see it was, uh, wow. One, 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 one time, one nightstand. Um, as you can see, there's a giant leap of, in the numbers of, of, of PMBs uh, proposed or filed or submitted to the presidium, but the success rate is dropping, and it, uh, yeah, and to four percent. So um, most of these uh, bills don't become acts of parliament. I will show you later what happens to them according to stages of, of legislation and I mean it's pretty pretty interesting what the, the, this next uh, um, slide shows you is acts of Knesset by origin okay so the blue line is the uh, show it shows us the number of the total number of acts of Knesset per Knesset. So the last one is uh, 625 acts of Knesset in the 20th Knesset, okay, the one that dissolved in January. And um, the um, gray uh, data, you can see I, I, I put the number of um, PMBs. So you can see that in some years, in some Knesset, uh, the number of PMBs, the, the, bill, the, the acts of Knesset that were originally PMBs, is larger than the number of acts of Knesset that originated as government bills. That's really interesting. And so far, I have not been able to find any country that has any, anything similar to that. Um, okay, so the general success rate of bills, you can see that the Knesset has been, ha has been able to legislate 80%, 90% of the bills in the 50s, but now only manages to legislate less than 10% of bills from all origins. Um, this is what happens to unlegislated uh, PMBs. What happens to all this giant mass 
of private members' bills. Um, most of it goes untouched. It's not just that they uh, uh, try to legislate and they are unsuccessful. 88% of the PMBs are untouched. They just sit quietly, lie quietly in the Knesset's archive. Nothing happens to them from, 19, from 2015 to 2019. Nothing happened to them. Um, which is also very unprecedented. If you look at the different stages of uh, legislation, so the, um, the orange uh, data is the number of PMBs filed, the yellow is uh, not going through the legislative process at all, and then you can see that uh, um, also Many private members' bills are stuck, get stuck on the way in, in during the phase of the total, uh, the, the first reading. So they pass the preliminary reading, but they don't make it, they don't pass the first reading. And then also some of them stop at the stage of the second and third reading. They pass the first reading and they don't make it to the second and the third reading. Um, government bills. Most of them um, pass the first reading because it's normally it's automatic, so they don't fail. Um, but what is interesting, I think, if you look at the gray data, then you'll see that more and more during the last decade, government bills don't pass the second and third reading. So they, they somehow get lost in the process and they don't become acts of uh, Knesset. They just stay there. Now, wh what happens to a bill that does not pass uh, the legislative process uh, and, and what happens to it after the elections? If it's a government bill, it's a government bill, a government bill, then the government has to ask the permission of the Knesset to re-legislate the bill. From if, if the government wants to re-legislate the bill and does not want to start all over again, the first reading and, and everything, then um, the government has to ask the Knesset's permission to re-legislate from where it stopped. So if it was stopped uh, after the first reading, the government would like uh, ask the Knesset's permission to uh, start the legislative process from there. Um, and if it's a PMB, then usually it has to start all over again. So that's why you can see, if you look at the Knesset's archive, you can see the same bill with the only difference is the year because the bill says, uh, for example, I don't know, amendment uh, number 25 to Consumer Protection Act, 2011, 2013, 2015, <laughs> 2020 probably. So they just take the bill and they pass it on. They file it again with a different year. Um, and then it just lies there uh, until the next election. Okay, so what, what, what is interesting about uh, these findings is uh, I put my two conclusions um, in the head of this slide. Uh, the Knesset is not very effective uh, legislature. And what one can really see is a gradual weakening of the government. Uh, the Israeli government is slowly losing control of the legislative, legislative process. 
And from the data that I've been able to, information I've been able, able to find on other uh, countries, this is not happening in other countries. Now, um, what is interesting is that if until the 80s, um, the majority of the bills were government bills, now majority of the bills is private members' bills. Um, and it is also interesting to see the decline of the, s the success rate is in decline. What is interesting to see is the, the, the historical decline. I mean, the, 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 um, the change, the real change beca began to, to occur in the 80s. I'm going to talk about that because it's important. Why, why the 80s? Um, but you can see that in, in every, wherever you look, at the what happens to the private members' bills, what happens to the government bills, what happens to uh, um, legislation in general, the 80s is the beginning of, of, of the change. So, so you can see that uh, in the 80s, uh, until the 80s, 45% of PMBs passed the second and third uh, legislation, but starting from the 80s, it, it, it began to, to uh, decline. And if you look at the government bills, that's even more interesting because you can see that um, um, the success rate of the government began to slowly decrease and then finally drop. And, and that also began in the 80s and, and the 90s. Um, now, <laughs> these are the, the, the general factors that uh, uh, one can think of as, con as explaining or uh, influencing uh, competition through legislation in Israel. Um, I, I, I want to talk, ab um, talk about um, um, th those that uh, the last uh, three, mostly, the last uh, three um, judicial activism and judicial review of legislation and the role of the Attorney General and the reaction to the Ministry of Finance's control of the economy because these are things that I have not seen discussed very much in, 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 in literature and I think it's interesting. Um, but also I want to talk to you about the 80s and the 90s as the key decades for competition through legislation and to talk about these factors through the lens of, of the historical perspective. Now, as you know, in 1977, uh, the transfer of power from uh, Labour to Likud, Begin, um, Mahapach is a variation of the word Mahapecha, which is revolution. I don't think they wanted to say revolution because it was not a revolution. It was, you know, democratic elections and there was no revolution involved, nothing like the French Revolution. but. Uh, Perhaps to the people who voted, who were outvoted from the office, it felt like a revolution. Because I think that the trauma of the loss of power, I'm not a sociologist, but I think that the trauma of the loss of power uh, by the uh, uh, Labour Party <coughs> can explain a lot of what happened in Israeli politics. And also it can explain a lot of the changes that occurred in the uh, legislative process. Now, um, um, the rise of judicial activism, of course, there's a lot of discussion about 
the uh, judicial revolution. That is the term that refers to the, the uh, question of, of uh, whether a bill is uh, constitutional or not. That is the revolution of the human rights basic laws of the 90s. But prior to that, there was a, a, a rise of judicial activism, which is uh, the court's growing interference and supervision of the government, not only in areas of public law, and this I can tell you as, as uh, a jurist, as a, as a law scholar, uh, not just in the terms of public law, using High Court of Justice on questions of public law, but also through um, expanding public authorities' liability in torts, for example. That's also uh, uh, another channel uh, the courts use to uh, interfere more with government discretion and government's uh, decision. And both uh, uh, judicial activism in public law and judicial activism in private law occurred in the 80s. They began to occur in the 80s. Um, other things that happened in the 80s and 90s are changes to candidate selection methods, uh, notably, most notably primaries, but not only that. And of course, the rise of the commercial media until 1992, Israel had only one television channel. And uh, the, the emergence of uh, commercial TV certainly had its impact on Israeli politics. Um, the constitutional revolution and the human rights basic laws. Now, it's not that Israel had no protection of, of uh, human rights prior to those basic uh, uh, basic laws, and uh, all the you know the old guard of judges and politicians are very offended offended if uh, someone says that. But uh, there can be no doubt that the introduction of the human rights basic laws changed uh, legal and also political discourse about human rights. And it certainly uh, caused both the government and MPs to introduce more bills that deal with uh, human rights. Uh, for example, uh, the, the Equality for People with Disabilities Act um, and, and ma many others. I mean, um, um, it's not, I mean, he, uh, Women's Equality Act, that's something from the 50s. But many, many bills uh, would not have become, uh, would not have been proposed, and there would be no acts of uh, Knesset without this idea of human rights as constitutional uh, uh, rights, which means that a bill, uh, uh, they, they are perhaps uh, superior to other rights and that a bill of the Knesset, or an act of the Knesset, cannot encroach or dilute those rights without uh, uh, facing, without uh, 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 being proportional and for uh, what is called uh, proper uh, purpose, if you'd like. Okay, so, um, um, what we can see uh, since the 80s and the 90s is changes in the balance of power uh, through the years. The government weakens, and the Knesset's committees, not a plenum, is an arena for a debate, but the Knesset's committees strength, uh, strengthen. 
Um, you can see that in the growing number of amendments to the KRP, which codify, you know, uh, customs. Customs are easily changed. The KRPs are not so easily changed. Um, so the KRP is what? The Knesset Rules of Procedure. Um, you can see s other uh, scholars have written about it, about the time the Knesset gives uh, to PMBs at the expense of government bills. You can see uh, the reference to Friedberg's uh, uh, research from uh, 2090. I, I, I ha my explanation for that is that it's a backlash. It's uh, uh, a response to the, uh, of, of the Knesset to the Ministry of Finance's control of economic reform. If you see, uh, this, all these changes go hand to hand with the uh, um, splitting up the, the economic arrangements bill which is the bill that goes along with the budget every year. It contains the major economic reforms um, that the government plans for the next years. So if in the 90s and the early 2000s, it, that would be an enormous bill of 200, 300 articles containing all sorts of reforms that the Knesset would have to vote until December 31st, uh, or otherwise there is no budget. and no time for debate and uh, no time for deliberation. The Knesset rev actually revolted against that and they started splitting up the bill and more and more time is given to uh, Knesset reforms and Knesset bills at the expense of the coalition and the government, even if the chairman of the committees are coalition members, which, which is very worth uh, uh, mentioning. I'm not going to show you the beautiful graphs I've made of the political instability, maybe just one, which I like in particular, but what you can see is that although uh, elections are held in average every four years, still the, 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 the Israel politics is very, very unstable. Um, governments uh, are growing larger, forming parties are becoming smaller, and um, you know, the, the parties and the lists, they just keep changing all the time. You vote for a party, and by the end of the Knesset, it uh, has dissolved into three separate parties, and you just, I mean, it, it, it constantly, constantly happens. This is my favorite graph. It shows you the number of, uh, the red one is the number of the um, uh, uh, MKs, members of Knesset from the forming party. Okay, so you can see that in the 50s, uh, Mapai had uh, almost 50 uh, MKs, uh, but uh, Likud had only 27 or 30 uh, in the last Knesset. But you can see what happens to the number of uh, ministers and deputy ministers. It's on the rise, and that signifies weakness on the, on, on the coalition of the coalition, not because if the coalition is strong, then you, can, you don't need to buy uh, so many politicians and, and, and turn them, you know, into government ministers to uh, ensure their loyalty. Um, primaries and vote seeking and all of that, I don't have time to get into that. It may be even, you know, almost obvious that if you have primaries, you have to, you want to uh, convince voters to vote for you by proposing more bills. But look at what I found. I just... You know, it's nothing, uh, it's not statistically uh, meaningful, but I just wanted to see who was the most, you know, the, the MK with the largest number of bills written, 
on him, and that's Dov Hanin from Hadash, which is a party that has no primaries. They elect their MPs by, um, yeah, a committee of some sort. So he has been involved in 3,305 bills, 1,305 bills as number one, okay? So... He's registered as one of the proposing MKs in uh, 3,500, but he's number one. So, so, and that he outranks all, all the other MPs from uh, primary parties. Advantages and, and disadvantages, I really have not, maybe just a few words. What I think and what I think the data shows that uh, the competition has advantages, but it also has severe disadvantages and I mean overloading the system is you, you have to be there to feel it the, the constant pressure and, and the lack of meaningful discussion and the we call it horse trade this is what it has become in the last few years just you know you, you'll support me on this I'll support you on that no uh, discussion on the merits um, Again, it has many uh, uh, advantages. For example, Clean Air Act, is n which is you know the, the uh, protection of environment. That's not a government bill. That was uh, a, a private private members' bills, uh, because the government was captured by industry and would not legislate Clean Air Act. So that had to come from somewhere else. Um, like I said, Israel is not unique in the respect that it has PMBs. This is, this is the data from the UK. So 32 acts of parliament in average in the last uh, uh, 14 years, um, 150 bills per year, and six PMBs out of 188 gained royal assent. That means that were legislated and became acts of parliament. 23 GBs out of 26. I mean, this is a whole different universe, a whole different uh, uh, number. Um, okay, I have a few suggestions for change. I have not thought them through all the way. I can only tell you that uh, proposing a bill by a group of MKs is something that's been, uh, that's, that's the way the Germans do it. So a single uh, uh, MP cannot propose a bill, only 5% at least 5% of, of, of the members of the Bundestag can uh, propose a bill. Um, that is something that I will have to think about um, because I just, you know, ideas that I thought about uh, offhand. Um, we'll see what happens in the Knesset number 23. We are, apparently we are going to elections, yeah, yeah. February, so we'll see. 23, 24, yeah. 25. Wow. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you.